For those of you that, that don't know me, thanks for that. You, you just did that for a total stranger. So I'm, uh, I'm grateful. Listen, I, I am really grateful to be here this morning to do this. Um, BlackRock and the staff here, I'm super glad that those guys are away getting replenished and refilled. And if I can stand in the gap for a few minutes, it's an honor to do that for those guys. Can you, uh, can, can you pray for me and with me this morning? Father, um, just like we just sang, we would ask very simply that your spirit would come in these next minutes that we spend together and that you would cause to come to light the things that you would have for us. I pray that there would be no barriers in between your truth and us, that that you would break through anything that needs to be broken through in order to have your way with us. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate your word so we can sense more of you, experience more of your truth and your gospel this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, our text for this morning comes out of the New Testament book of Titus. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, you can be lazy and look at the screen. Did I say that out loud? Titus 3, uh, verses 3 through 7 says this, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. You know, for the past four weeks, if you haven't been here, for the past four weeks or so, we've been in a series called Above and Beyond, where we've been studying the Apostle Paul and considering what he has to say about how being in a real relationship with God allows me to live beyond the things which would otherwise keep me down. That's been the idea that we've been going after as a church, and I really do love that we've been pursuing this together because I really do believe the idea of there being something beyond where we are right now is the longing of every human heart and one of the foundational messages of the Bible as a whole. You know, Jesus in John chapter 10 uh, says that the thief comes to rob and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that you might have life and to have it to the fullest or to have it abundantly. You know, scriptures say there is more. There is more. There is more beyond maybe some of the ways that we've begun to settle into and are even currently living. There's, there's more beyond that. There is a way of doing life that is more full, that's even more real uh, and more beautiful than a lot of what this world would convince me of as otherwise. There is beyond this. Whatever the this is for you, scriptures are pleading with us to believe that there is more. Jesus is pleading with us to believe that there is more. You know, St. Augustine's, uh, St. Augustine, in his work, The Confessions, uh, which is just a collection, really, of his journal entries hundreds and hundreds of years ago um, of his journey through faith and discovery of relationship with God. He said this, you've made us for yourself, O Lord. You've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. As we've been studying and looking at these last four weeks, there is 
legitimately more joy to be had when we're, in, when we're in active pursuit of a relationship with God. It's possible to be less selfish and more filled with an unconditionally loving heart when drawing from my relationship with God. Um, there is more boldness in faith that's accessible with less anxiety and less worry about the pressures of men when I am in active pursuit of my relationship with God. All of these things are true, and the scriptures support that, and Steve's done a fantastic job of showing that. But what I think that our text would have us look at this morning is not the products of what comes with relationship to God, the products of more joy and less selfishness and more love that abounds and less worry and maybe more boldness empowered by the Holy Spirit. Not the products, but rather that which makes relationship with God even possible at all. Titus chapter 3 contains what arguably has been described as one of the most beautiful descriptions of the gospel that we have in the Bible. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewing by the Holy Spirit and having justified us by His grace. We've become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Folks, this is actually Paul's testimony. And it's Titus's too, and we'll see that in a second. It's, it's this clarion call, this trumpet call reminder to Titus that remember this is your testimony too. Folks, do you have a testimony this morning? Do you have a testimony? Does your testimony sound anything like this? Because I think if we were really to look at the things that threaten to keep us down, it would be not having access to relationship with God at all made possible through this truth. Now, why is Paul saying these things to Titus? I think a little bit of context would be helpful. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. Paul says this to Titus, Remind the people to be subject to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility to all men. You know, as Paul writes this letter to Titus, this young leader in the church, just like Timothy that we looked at last week, we know that Paul likely left this young son in the faith on the island of Crete, a place where Paul had planted a church. And he left him there to help disciple and to set in place leaders within this baby church amongst a newly believing people, many of which had come to a legitimate, the, beginnings, the beginning understanding of who God is, a beginning understanding, legitimate though it was, beginning understanding of the gospel, but very little idea of what, what it meant to live in a way that honors God once they've been given and received the gospel. So in those opening verses in 1 and 2, Paul tells Titus that it's important to remind these people what godly lives are supposed to look like, that they actually look like something. When Jesus' life becomes yours, there are changes that begin to take place, and he lists off what some of those markers are. They're submissive to authority. People are obedient. They're ready to do what's good. They don't slander. They don't backbite. They don't talk about one another behind each other's back to their harm. They're peaceable and they're considerate. They show true humility, genuine true humility in deference to one another at every turn. 
This is what these are like. Remind them. Titus, get leaders in place and remind them that once they've received the truth, that there's a lifestyle that begins to validate your trusting in Jesus at all. Paul writes of some of the people there in chapter 1, verse 16, he says this, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they actually deny him. The verses that follow in our text for today, they're this powerful reminder to Titus. Listen, as you watch people come to faith, Titus, remember, remember where you and I came from too, my friend. Remember who you were before you met Jesus. It's almost like you can hear Paul saying to this young leader, listen, as you deal with people that are in the process of coming to an understanding of just how much of their life has been impacted by Jesus and him coming in and invading, be patient with these guys. And you know why, Titus, you should be patient? Because that was you. And that was me too. Listen to Paul in, uh, in verse 3. He says this, At one time, we too. And the we too is Paul and Titus. This is not a, tr- a letter that Paul writes to a specific church. Most of the New Testament letters are that, we know. But there are a couple that he writes to individuals, and this is one of them. He says, we too. At one time, Titus, we too. This was our story. We were foolish. We were disobedient. That, that was us. We were deceived and we were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures and desires. That was us. We, we lived in malice. We lived in envy. We lived in it, he says. That's, that defined our lives. People hated us and we hated other people. Hatred was our story too. Titus, do you remember that? Folks, who were you before you met Jesus? Who would you be right now if you did not know Jesus? I want to make two simple suggestions to you this morning. And the first one is this, that regularly remembering who you were before Jesus or who you would be now without him will keep you and will keep me in a regular posture of humility in relationship to other people and to God. In relationship to other people, man, will we find ourselves being more forgiving. If we remember who we were or who we would be, we'd be quicker to forgive. You know, regularly taking trips to both your own history book and the mirror, remembering these things will make you less likely to hold people to unrealistic and rigid and even sometimes self-righteous standards that we so often can do can hold people to. You'll be more ready to dispense patience with other people the more you remember your story and how exhaustively God has showered on you and showered on me his patience and his kindness and his mercy. Paul writes to Timothy that we were looking at last week. He writes to Timothy, this other young leader in the faith. He says this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he says this, of whom I am the worst. Folks, do we live with that kind of a posture? Not just scripture speak that we kind of say in environments like this, but do we live in the posture of really believing? If people only knew, but for the grace of God. He says, of whom I am the worst. But listen to this. But for that reason, me being the worst, but for that reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners... 
Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Remembering your story exalts the patience of God. And secondly, this, remembering your story and who you were before will keep you acutely aware of just how much you and I need him today, right now, to keep you out of the pit. It'll keep you dependent on Jesus to fill your cup each day because you know where you would be without him. Jesus says just before he goes to the cross to his disciples, some of the final things he's trying to get them to hang on to. He says, listen, if you hang on to nothing else, John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that will never stop being true. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Folks, a true follower of Jesus, if we hear Paul's example right, a true follower of Jesus never finds himself or herself in a place where they say things like, man, I would never do this. I would never do that. You hear conversation erupt in this context or that. You hear people and their stories being talked about. And you walk away and we say, man, I don't know. I, would, I, would never, I know I have my issues. But that is serious. That is dirty. That is disgusting. You don't watch the newsreels. You don't watch the footage or the, the headlines come back, that which is, is horrible and dark and hard, and you say things like, I have my issues, but I would never be that. And the reason why a true follower of Jesus doesn't think like that, much less speak like that, is because he or she knows his sin, and he knows that if it wasn't for the grace of God being poured out on him every single day, there is literally nothing that he would not become. Do, do we believe that this morning? Folks, do you think about your story with any kind of regularity? You know, maybe even more still. Do you talk about it with others? And, and when I say that, I don't mean the kind of talking about or thinking about, which is a dwelling on things of your past where God has maybe freed you from things and then stirring up either a self-condemnation or guilt. And then maybe on the other end of the spectrum, um, getting in huge group gatherings, maybe even like this, and talking about the gory details of your sin. I don't think that there's biblical backing for that. But Paul says things like this all over the place. You hear him in his first letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says this, he says, Brothers, think of what you were. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. So let him who boasts Boast in the Lord. Why does Paul say this? Why does he say it to Corinth? Why does he say it to Titus? Why does he say things about his story to young leaders like Timothy? Remember how difficult, maybe even dark, that your stories are. Folks, because our being acutely aware of our weakness is at the heart of why Jesus' strength is such good news. Folks, are we okay with being weak in our relationship to God? Are we okay 
with how our trips to the mirror and maybe even to our history books, how they show weakness and failure. Are we okay with showing and telling others that God has what I absolutely do not have and I'd be dying without that and here's why. Are we so busy cleaning ourselves up and sanitizing our stories that it barely looks like we need a savior at all? Because the best testimonies are not the ones, are not the testimonies that are either so sanitized that it barely even looks like we need a savior on one end or so sensational that all I can think about when they're done is all the dirty, gory details of that story. The best testimonies are the ones where Jesus gets to be the hero. Jesus gets to be the hero. Your story becomes his victory story. Folks, this is the gospel. Can we remind each other of that this morning? And the sooner that we realize that this gospel is first and foremost about putting his grace and his goodness and his power and strength on display and not my own, so that our stories of hatred and failure and abuse and anger and lust begin to fade in the background, the sooner we will start to more gladly say things like, this is what I was. This is my story. But God, who is rich in mercy, Paul says, made us alive in Christ. Though we were dead in our sins, he says in Ephesians chapter 2. Look at him. Folks, this is why the gospel is such good news, isn't it? It's about his story and God's glory on display and not my own. Paul gets to the point where he eventually says in the second letter that he writes to Corinthians, that's actually why I delight in my weaknesses, so that Christ's power might rest on me. Paul got convinced of something along the way, didn't he? That my power just doesn't cut it. My ability to fight these things that plague me and weigh me down, they don't work. And so I delight in my weaknesses because Christ's power shines. I promise you that Steve didn't ask me to do this, but man, is this not a commercial for baptism? Do, do you know your story? Do you think about it? Do you talk about it? Tell your story. I used to have this picture that I had in my mind, kind of growing up around these things. And this picture in my mind of whenever a pastor, teacher, or preacher would talk about the end of all things, when this world as we know it is no more, and we were all going to, and Scripture speaks to this, there is going to be a day that we all give account for things done while in the body. And there was this image that I had in my mind of standing before the judgment seat of Christ with all the throngs of the earth and billions and billions of people gathered in front of the throne of God. And there was this giant movie screen in my mind that I had pictured giant movie screen, and every sin that I had ever committed, this is, must be what the scriptures meant, every sin that I ever committed, everything in word and thought and deed would be plastered across that screen while I took mine to my shame. And once my shame was done, then you've paid your ticket and you can come in. Folks, this is not the Bible. 
It wasn't the Bible then. It's not the Bible now. And the main reason why I know that it's not the Bible and it's not the gospel is because there's going to be something happening that day. And it's going to be all eyes, not on the details of my story that are being accounted for, but rather the one who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. The one who everybody is going to be concentrating on his cross and on his story, not on the details of mine. And they will say things like, not look at what that guy did, poor schlep. They're going to turn and they're going to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. It's his story, not mine. So we can look forward to that day. Paul says, Titus, that's our story, but something happened to us. Something happened to us. We were washed. He says, we were washed. The kindness and love of God our Savior broke on the scene. It appeared to us. And we were washed. He saved us when we brought nothing to the table. He was the hero. He was merciful to us. He washed me and cleansed me and poured out his Holy Spirit on me. And when that happened, Titus, I saw everything differently and you did too. There was this rebirth. And Paul uses this reborn language. And then he says, though, that he's still renewing us. And we know that because the language that Paul uses there is about this constant state of renewing that's happening to him, even now, years later. Folks, the work of God's Spirit is this continual reorienting of our hearts and our minds so that you can see the worth and centrality of Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And Paul turns to Titus and says, but we can. We can see the worth of Jesus. Something happened to us. All these crazy passive words that Paul uses. He says, the kindness appeared. We were saved. He poured out his spirit. He justified us by his grace. All something happening to us. Nothing that we did. Charles Spurgeon, he's a famous 19th century preacher from across the pond in the UK. He said this, I frequently hear people encouraged to give their hearts to Christ. And this is a proper encouragement. But that's not the gospel. Salvation comes from something that Christ gives you. Not something that you give to Christ. The giving of your heart to Christ follows after the receiving from Christ of eternal life by faith. He does something to you. The story of the Bible, folks, this morning, right? And the gospel is not one where God is hiding and men are looking for him and they can't find him. The story of the gospel is about God's search, God's quest to go after people that are hiding from their maker. We're washed. This word literally means a perfect cleansing so that one is without stain. And it usually means of the whole body. A picture of baptism. Of the whole body. I have four children. And in my role um, at the school, um, my wife and I, um, at the end of, around the end of each school year, um, before the seniors graduate, they have their senior formal that they go on. And we have kind of a unique thing that we do at the school. Um, over the past several years, uh, this formal takes place on a boat. And so we take a charter bus down into the city, take a double-decker bus down in there. And um, we take, I don't know if many, any of you have done this before, but we take a boat cruise around the harbor 
on a, on a, it's called a dinner cruise, and we go around the Statue of Liberty. It's the neatest environment to have a formal like that. Really special time. My wife and I have attended it several times. A few years ago, uh, we decided that my wife wasn't going to come this time, but I was actually going to take my five-year-old daughter. And so we, just, we said, Let, let's do it. And so she got all dolled up, and uh, that is her. That's McKenna. And uh, this is the dress that she wore. She was super proud of her dress, couldn't wait to wear it. And we took off for a cruise, and we had a great time, a great time. We danced together. I watched her dance with all the senior girls that were there and kind of um, just going to town. It, they, they had the greatest time. We got to the end of the boat dinner cruise, and it's tradition that the seniors would get off the, uh, the, the cruise, and we take that same double-decker bus down into Times Square, and they walk around Times Square with one another in the best of their, their attire. And so we went in there, um, and at this point, it's about 10.30 at night, and this is way past this girl's bedtime. And so I was just sort of waiting for the meltdown to happen. And it wasn't happening, but I was waiting for it to happen. And we get to Times Square, and it started to rain a little bit. And she's got this beautiful white dress. I'm anticipating the meltdown. All of the seniors get off of the bus and go into Times Square. And I'm waiting for the question, Daddy, can we go? Really hoping she's not going to ask that. And as she turns to ask me, my hero, the bus driver, he comes up the stairs of the double-decker bus, and he says, hey, you two, would you like a tour of the city? And I said, of course I'd like a tour of the city. And so on that second level, on that double-decker bus, uh, if you've ever been on, on something like that, it is a completely flat, flush piece of glass with no obstruction, which when you're elevated and up high, you, you feel like you're flying when you're moving. And so my daughter and I toured for about an hour. We toured around the city, around Times Square, all of the lights with our nose pressed up against the glass, and we were pretending like crazy. We were pretending that we were superheroes flying in and out of the alleyways. We were pretending that we were fairies and fairy princesses flying in because we were just feeling so free. And we got to the end, and now it's about 11.30, and all the seniors get back on the bus, and we had the time of our lives, and we drive back to the school parking lot. And when we get to the school parking lot, it's now 1.30 in the morning, and this child is delirious. Well, just before she had drifted off to sleep, I'm not making this up. It sounds like I'm sensationalizing. These are exact quotes. Just before she drifts off to sleep in my arms, she says, Daddy, this is the best night of my life. When we get back, I put her in my car, and I live close to school, about three miles or so from the school, and somewhere between leaving that school parking lot and pulling in our driveway, something had happened, because when I pulled her up in her dress, delirium had set in. And her dress was wet. And as I brought her inside, and she's still not realizing what's happening and holding her, I brought her upstairs to our living room, and I began to take her dress off because now we had to have a bath. And she finally comes, true, comes to, and she touches her dress, and she realizes that this thing is wet. And her face hits the floor. And she begins to cry, and she won't look at me. And she said, Daddy, look at what I did. I'm in kindergarten. I'm not supposed to do that. I said, honey, it's okay. And I took her and I brought her in the bath and I began to give her a bath at 1.30 in the morning and she still wouldn't look at me. She was so ashamed. I'm in kindergarten. That's not supposed to happen. And look what I did to my dress. Folks, this morning, is there anything 
that is inhibiting you from believing. In the grace of God extended to you for a washing. Is there anything inhibiting you from believing this morning? Just how eager he is to give that bath to you. Is there anything inhibiting us from believing this crazy idea that whether it's at your greatest height of joy and walking in relationship with God, where you're flying around the city together and all is well, or your worst moment of soiling yourself, that he doesn't look at you any differently and he's glad to give you the bath. Is there anything this morning that inhibits us from believing that. Folks, when we stay away from God in his grace that we just spoke of, his kindness and his mercy from our Savior being extended to us, when we stay away from that for long periods of time, when we don't come, why don't we come? Whether it's for the first time, which may be for some of you this morning, or those of you that have known this good news, known this gospel for long periods of time, and for whatever reason have stayed away, maybe not wanting to admit your weakness afresh before him. Why do we stay away? Is it because of, number one, like shame? Is it shame? Is it because there's something that you feel like, man, by now I should be beyond this. I I, I should be beyond this. Is it a game for you maybe of scales where somewhere along the line you sort of convinced yourself that if I can just accumulate enough on my resume of good things, then when I come to God, all self-cleaned up, I'm going to look better. Maybe that's not you. Maybe for you, maybe it's a long time situation that you wouldn't even say out loud, but it's It's a game of self where somewhere you convinced yourself that you can do this just fine on your own, that you can solve your own problems, that you are your own savior. What is it that keeps you this morning from coming to him for a fresh or for the first time washing? Last thing. I think that in 25 years plus of knowing Jesus as my savior, in some of my worst moments, in some of my best ones, all that story in between. I think if there's one prayer that I have prayed more often than any other prayer, it's the prayer that David gives in Psalm 51 after one of his worst moments in his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. And he pleads with God, cleanse me and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let these bones that you have crushed rejoice. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Then I'll teach transgressors your ways. I think if there's anything that I've learned to pray, most often it's that prayer. Folks, do you pray Psalm 51? Your father is so eager to give you a washing this morning. Paul and Titus seem to live their lives with hope because their greatest need that they could do nothing about was taken care of. And now they'll never die. And so they could turn to their stories and say, this is what we was, what we were. But him. But him. Would you pray with me? Father, We ask that you'd give us a story. If we don't have one this morning, would you give us one? 
Would you give us a story that we can bring to you eagerly for a washing over? I pray for the grace of God to be manifest in this room even right now, that the washing of rebirth and renewing by the Holy Spirit would be a real and present experience for some this morning. Father, for all of us, because we all come in here with hundreds of stories in need of a fresh washing. It's why we've gathered this morning. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and convince us anew of just how much our stories need a Savior. This is my story. This is my song praising my Savior all the day long. We pray all of this, God, for the endless praise of the one that purchased us and extends himself to us even now to wash us and renew us. Amen. We want to thank you for watching and listening to our sermons online. And we hope that uh, you will be inspired to live more like Jesus through these. Please check out blackrock.org for more information about our church. Know that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And also uh, know that you can give uh, to BlackRock and to our ministry through PushPay, through our mobile app, and on our website. Your uh, donations and your support of our ministry allows us to have uh, these videos online and for us to impact our community.